Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. G-A-L-D-E-M. G-A-L-D-E-M. This song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up With Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Nyella Arboyne and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and longtime contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ruby Rare is a pink-haired sex educator, author, and public speaker on a mission to get people talking more confidently and inclusively about sex. Her work is influenced by her experiences as a bisexual, non-monogamous, dual-heritage woman. She's a proud ambassador for Brooke, the UK's leading sexual health charity for young people, co-founder of Life Drawing Collective, Body Love Sketch Club, and has spoken at TEDx London, Women of the World Festival, and on BBC Women's Hour. She's listed as one of 24 figures making a positive change to social media in Cosmopolitan's 2021 Positivity Index. In 2020, her debut book, Sex Ed, A Guide for Adults, was published by Bloomsbury. In her spare time, Ruby eats an obscene amount of vegan jelly, watches the Powerpuff Girls, and collects vintage peignoirs. Trigger warning. This episode of Growing Up With Galdem includes mentions of sexual violence, so if you don't feel comfortable listening to this episode, please feel free to skip this and listen to one of our other episodes. It's great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Ooh, well, thank you. It's a total honour to be part of this podcast I love it and I'm doing okay <laughs> with like a big question mark I'm probably actually not doing great in my life right now I've had like a big horrible thing happen recently so I'm just in a massive grief bubble and like slowly coming out of it so today the sun is shining I've just been for a swim I'm feeling okay and then the general forecast of my life is fairly gray and sad right now I'm sorry to hear that but I'm glad you're Able to have a swim and enjoy the sun. Those small things matter like that, you know? This week I feel kind of like ready to be back doing stuff and talking to people and I'm remembering how important that is to do. So this is a massive part of that as well. It's nice to actually just hop on and have a chat with both of you (laughs) and like feel ready to do that. And also, you know, this is a vulnerable podcast so I'm just happy to like 
put all of that out there. I wanted to ask a bit about your debut book, Sex Ed, A Guide for Adults. How was it writing a book? What was the reception like? Yeah, I'd love to know a bit more about that. Well, writing a book is really weird. (laughs) It's strange. No, I don't feel like people talk about it enough. I felt like so grateful to be able to write a book. I never thought that that was something that I would be able to do, let alone think be the kind of person who would think about writing like more than one book. It's all like that's really exciting and it's a total honour. But the process of writing a book is really hard work and feels very vulnerable. And especially when you're talking about things that you're super passionate about and that like are very heavily weighted like these are important things we're talking about when we're addressing like generations of shame that all of us have inherited about our bodies and our sexualities and then to try and unpack that in a way that feels really friendly and accessible and then you write all of that kind of in your own little bubble I sort of wrote it in like a mental cave and then it's out in the world and other people read it and that's really strange (laughs) it's been almost a year since the book came out and I can't say it's felt normal in that time. It's been so lovely and I feel so overwhelmed and so grateful that people enjoy the book and have got lots out of it and the feedback that I've just got has just been like wonderful but I keep waiting for it to not feel surreal and I think it maybe just is never gonna feel like (laughs) normal to me because it's yeah it's a it's an odd one. Sorry, I know that's a super rambly answer, but that's still, I keep thinking like when I finished writing the book, when it came out, when it had been out for six months, I kept thinking there'll be a time when I feel like I own this and I feel like confident as a sexy author person and it's still not quite happened. (laughs) I think that's so super honest. Like, I think it was in the season that we just did, we were talking about kind of that way of looking at life where you're kind of like I have these achievements in my head and like this idea of what they're going to feel like when they happen but then actually the older you get and the more things you do the more you're just like no 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 I still feel like I'm like playing the character of me in this thing called life and like some stuff feels anticlimactic some stuff feels like weirdly huge that you don't expect to you know like it's so important to talk about that side of it and not just feel like am I just crazy is everyone else like an authoress and I'm just like this person who accidentally did this thing and now I have to like continue my life. Yeah, I totally feel like that. The thing I do feel proud of myself for doing is not putting so much emphasis on this book to like shape my identity personally or professionally because I definitely did that initially and it wasn't easy but to sort of give myself permission to let go and be like, hey, this is one thing that you've done. It doesn't define success actually let's try and shift success being like so professional focused because you know at the end of my life the biggest successes I'm going to look at are going to be personal and about the people that I love not the work that I do even though I love my work and that's really important and just stepping away from the like the way that it's deemed successful by other people and instead just making something that I feel genuinely proud of because I love that weird little book I feel proud of it and you know If other people get things from that as well, that's a total honour. But the main thing is that I feel good about it in myself. I think that's like a super healthy attitude to have towards like success and your life. I was going to ask, has any of your thoughts changed since writing the book? Or is there anything you would, you know, add on now a year later? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, my God. I mean... The book, it's not a super deep dive into any of the topics. And that was intentional. It's a book that you can pick up. Like, it's beautiful. My friend Sophie Birkin illustrated it. And like, you could happily look through the book and like not read anything I say and just look at the like gorgeous, sexy illustrations. (laughs) And it's kind of designed to be something that you can pick up and is educational, but you don't have to like sit down and have academic knowledge or be really good at like reading long things to get something out of. And I love that over the course of the year, some of the topics I could just expand on so, so, so much more. And that's really good because it reminds me that like I'm not getting bored of this thing that I'm so passionate about and I love and care about. Like I still want to do this as my job. And more than going back and changing things in that book, I think it's just about how I take those same topics and expand on them in other like whether that's 
books or like podcasts or online things or talks. I really miss doing um, like talks and workshops in person because that before lockdown, that was like the main thing that I did. And it's been a year and a half of not doing them anymore. And I miss that. I want to be in front of people and be like educating and talking, but in a really friendly, informal, like in-person way. So I mean, just all of them, all every topic in there I could chat about for like a day. <laughs> you talked about the topics that you kind of cover in the book being obviously really deep and kind of emotional and also structural kind of issues around how we think about sex and everything it entails. I wondered like what your journey was like to get into the place that you got to in terms of how open and kind of honest you are about those experiences and what kind of inspired you to want to educate others to be the same? So in terms of educating and kind of finding this as a career and like a, a little happy like industry bubble that I love, all of that stemmed from working in sexual health. And I worked for the charity Brook, which is like the UK's sexual health charity for young people for five years and started actually the section of my diary that we're going to read through is 2016. And 2016 was like a massive year for me. It was the year that I started working in sexual health. And up until that point, I'd kind of been fanning around, not really knowing what I was doing after university and kind of dipping into lots of different types of jobs and none of them really seemed to fit. And then I started volunteering as a young person for Brooke and from that I got a part-time job there and then from that I got a full-time job there and then over the course of five years worked in lots of different teams but mostly in South London which is where I grew up so it was really nice to be. It was super weird to suddenly be going into the schools and teaching students at like schools that my friends went to when I was a teenager <laughs> being like oh I'm the like authority <laughs> figure here now that's really weird but I think just going into classrooms and teaching relationship and sex education, I didn't realise quite how much I would love that because I like talking and I love working with people in person and I really like working with young people and I just feel like all of us have our own stories of how sex education failed us in some way or another as teenagers. I've never met someone who has said like hand on heart, I had the best relationship and sex education I could have had, like no complaints, nothing. <laughs> I didn't need anything else. And that is, you know, we're doing something wrong if people aren't getting the education that they need, because as important as maths and science and history are, the ways that we connect to ourselves and to other people, which is relationships, like whether they're sexual or romantic or not, just like relationships in itself. I think that's one of the most important things we do in our lives and then sex is this huge thing that like whether you're having it or not it kind of governs a lot of your life and it can be really detrimental to your mental health if you're unable to look at that without shame or embarrassment so why are we not paying attention to this when we're younger because we all know <laughs> if you don't get the good sex education when you're younger it comes back to haunt you like it's not something where you're just like oh I'm an adult now I'm just gonna figure it out like it's all of this shame that we carry a lot of the time and the more conversations I've had with young people and with adults the more important I feel this is so I'm just really happy to be a part of that and there is a whole sexual health industry across the country and you know globally and sexual health can be really exciting it can also be like a lot of admin and kind of boring like I spent five years in like council buildings <laughs> working on local tenders and being like okay we've given 30,000 condoms out to young people in Lewisham this year how can we do more and as well as like all of the fun spicy stuff so I always feel like it's important to mention the fact that this isn't just being in my pants uh, on Instagram yes. which I love as well there's like there's like a whole other section of the industry at large and like my the, the small part I play in it and I like chatting about that because we don't see it very often that's so true truly I was gonna say I feel like sex ed at school was just vibes and well wishes and <laughs> that was it <laughs> 
<laughs> we bid you adieu. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Have fun, but not too much fun, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Just wing it. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, just like, I think we know a lot of these conversations already because this is something that's being spoken about more and more. But like, as a queer person who is somewhat questioning my relationship with my gender who is like dual heritage and the relationship I have with sex and relationships is very much shaped by that and like the Sri Lankan side of my family just with me as an example there are so many things that I did not get from sex education in terms of my own identity and the sex that I would go to have and my relationship to sex and my body and that's just one person Every single one of us has a story where we feel like we've been let down by the way that we are introduced to these messages. And I won't stop until <laughs> it's maybe not fixed. I don't think I can fix it on my own. But I feel really, really bloody passionate about giving people the space to have these conversations. Yeah, you literally answered my next question. Yeah, I was going to ask a bit more about being dual heritage and bisexual, happy, belated, by day as of yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and what that kind of was like growing up and the conversations you had or didn't have with family. It's been really interesting thinking about this recently, actually. It's not intentional, but loads of parts of my identity are kind of somewhere in between two things or there's some fluidity there. So my dual heritageness is probably the thing I feel the least confident with out of all of them because... I mean, it's always been there, but I think me and my mum and my sister were talking about this a couple of years ago. Like, from when we were kids, my mum used to tick the white box on forms and not the, like, mixed white and Asian. And, like, my mum is Sri Lankan, and so the fact that that just didn't, like, we were brought up in an environment through no fault of, like, my parents, like, or anyone, just the culture itself read my sister and my whiteness and just chose to roll with that. So it's been like, I guess the last eight years or so has been a lot of unlearning and trying to like reclaim what the duality of my heritage means to me. And then I've got like, my sexuality is like queer, bisexual, pansexual, some combination of those things. And that is a fluid sexuality. It's a sexuality that kind of challenges binaries. I'm also non-monogamous, so my relationship styles are fluid and kind of ever-evolving and changing, I guess. And I'm also currently having a whole journey with my gender and, like, thinking about that and kind of feeling more and more like a kind of she-they existence feels good for me. And I don't know why I've kind of, like, gravitated towards loads of those things, but I think because of that, all of the fluidity of like one of those identities really shapes and informs any of the others. And I feel very grateful for that, but it's taken a long time to get here because <laughs> the way that we are taught to talk about and think about sex and relationships and our identities is not one that is kind to fluidity. It's very much like, here's your box, stay in there, that's what you are. And I feel super grateful that the people in my life, we've all kind of learnt to shift those expectations together. But I grew up in a space where bisexuality wasn't really thought of as a thing. And I thought that as well. I remember talking, like, I first heard about bisexuality at school and at a girls' school, the thing was just like, oh, you're doing it for attention or actually she's just a lesbian. And, you know, little did we know, there were so many fucking bisexuals in my school. <laughs> it was unreal. But I think it took a long time for that to feel like normal and welcome and accepted. And that's kind of the case for all of these aspects of my identity that I've spoken about. And overshadowing all of that is, you know, my parents have always been very warm and accepting towards me. And even though I've kind of challenged a lot of their ideas, they've come along for the ride and we've kind of all learned together. But I do have a fairly traditional like Sri Lankan side and British side of my families in terms of like my grandparents. And 
while I'm, I feel lucky that I've never felt, you know, like really heavily threatened by that, that's definitely hung over me. And I think it's something that I've had to address and work through. And even, you know, the Sri Lankan side of my family, I still feel there's still kind of unease and nerves about being fully open with who I am. And that's, you know, just like a a thing I'm figuring out myself. And I'm very grateful to have like a fellow queer sister and like both of us can, can sort of work this stuff out together. And what I will say with that as well is that it's been very nice recently reminding myself that I don't have to figure all of this out immediately. Like, I think the last couple of years, I've really wanted to look at my dual heritage-ness more and feel like confident and certain with it or whatever. And while I do what I can to try and make that happen, it's not a process that's going to happen quickly. And I have to keep reminding myself to like slow down and let it happen in its own time. Because if I rush it, I think I'd just end up feeling really shitty about myself because I'm like, why am I not figuring this out as quickly as I want to? So just slowing it down and knowing that like with any of these things, your relationship to yourself changes and evolves and it's okay. That's what I'm trying to say. I can say it to other people. I can't listen to myself saying it quite as well, but I'm trying. I think that's lovely and such a point in terms of like, because I think we've lived in a world where, or particularly our generation, perhaps our heritage wasn't always, or especially dual heritage or people who come from immigrant families, our heritage wasn't always like celebrated in the spaces that we enter in countries like you know this here England and so I think as we get into a stage where you know we're able to create our own spaces and like kind of assert our identities we kind of do expect to have all these answers and be like I see myself as a pan-African Londoner or I'm black British or I'm this and like how do I label how do I identify in terms of who I am as at my core but at the same time it's like it's culture and it's human beings and it's like family and it's all of these things that are inherently so complex so for us to have that answer is just like, it's impossible almost. For the vast majority of my life, the way that I've celebrated my Sri Lankan culture has been in private. It's been like a secret thing that I do with my family. And for suddenly that to be something that I should be celebrating, that's quite jarring and quite weird. And it's strange to like, it feels quite vulnerable bringing that out into the forefront. And I'm having a really difficult time right now because the amazing person who I lost recently was kind of one of the most one of the people who has like throughout my life connected me to Sri Lanka the most and that loss is heartbreaking for so many reasons but there's a lot of stuff I'm gonna have to think about in the next couple of years of like how I connect to that part of myself without her being there so you know all of this, it's just so complicated. <laughs> I can't, like, I wish I could simplify it, but it just doesn't work like that. It's a journey and it, you know, it goes on for the whole of our lives. So you're right, there is no rush. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I would love for us to get into your amazing extract next, if that's okay. If you could just give us a little bit of context and then read it out for us, that'd be amazing. I wanted to choose something that was to do with relationships because that's what I do a lot of, like, you know, that's what I talk about all the time. (laughs) And I was looking through my diaries and 2016 was a big year for me. It's the year that I started working in sexual health. It's the year that I experienced like some big fucking heartbreak, which is what this is about. I came out that year. I discovered polyamory that year. I was also sexually assaulted that year, you know, like it was a year of a lot of really shifting things. And I think this moment is kind of, not to sound too cheesy, but I think this is me really taking form as like the person I am now. I think 2016 was like a big shifting year for me. So in this extract, my boyfriend had left me to cycle around the world a month before and I was completely heartbroken and felt very abandoned and very out of control and very hurt by this person, but also completely in love with them and completely heartbroken. So this is me trying to figure out some of that, basically. So this is from the 2nd of April, 2016. I got drunk at Joe's last night and ended up downloading all the dating apps on the bus home. Just added bios to them and it feels so fucking weird It's fine to have profiles, but I don't find anyone attractive and I can't bring myself to like anyone. It feels so mechanical and unnatural. I think I maybe pushed this a bit too early and and that even when I'm ready to date, I'll want it to be through real life encounters, not through my phone. I'm not ready to move on, but I hate feeling stuck in this bit. It's boring and drags me down. I think it's time to give yourself a pep talk. You're being a bit impatient about feeling aimless or not being able to move on to the next stage because you're still hanging on to F. First off, stop rushing things. Your heart has been broken in an unusual way, and it needs time to mend. He's not even been gone a month. And of course, this has just highlighted all the other reasons life is feeling so aimless right now. You are already starting to feel better in small moments, and you will eventually stop feeling so fucking low all the time. But give it time. Secondly, It's important that you know that the heightened state of stress that you and him were in in the run-up to him leaving was unhealthy. Yes, you loved him dearly, the two of you were best friends, but you wouldn't want to go back to how horrid that was, even though there were magical bits mixed in. You're not used to so much of it, but you actually quite enjoy spending time on your own. The crucial thing is to spend that time wisely. You don't have to be crazily productive all the time, but get out of the habit of wallowing in bed with your laptop. There are so many exciting things you enjoy doing. Stop watching MasterChef and do them. (laughs) Be proud of yourself for what you've come through. Be kind to yourself in this moment of recovery and be excited about the person you're becoming and the life you're walking into. Oh, baby Ruby, loads of stuff's going on. Thanks so much for reading that. (laughs) Gosh, it's weird. I feel quite shaky. It's weird reading that out loud. Yeah, I was going to ask, how, like, in the five years since you wrote this, how has your life changed? Oh, my God, so much, so much. I feel like um, I painted a portrait of myself earlier in the year where I feel very protective over 2016 Ruby because so much happened and she didn't know that, like, 
in a couple of months she was going to be raped. And that's like this year, the five year anniversary of that just took me by complete surprise and like I completely fell apart. And as kind of trying to sit with that and process that, I painted a portrait of myself now, like holding and cradling a tiny version of myself then. And obviously that was mostly thinking about the sexual assault, but it's kind of come to mean more than just that and think about like me in that year. And I was fucking heartbroken. Really, it felt so difficult to be left and to feel like just completely aimless. I didn't really know what was ahead of me and what was going to happen. And I really wish that I could cradle that little version of myself because she didn't know what was to come. And what was to come was some like really beautiful, really special stuff. And I think it's very hard in those moments of our youth when you feel so lost that you can't see that this moment's going to pass, that you're not going to feel like that forever. And it's also really unhelpful sometimes to hear from other people that it will pass and it won't feel like that forever because it almost invalidates the feeling that you're having, you know? Like, heartbreak is so throws everything up in the air and it consumes your life for the time that you're feeling it. And then you can look back on that time and it really feels like a sort of fever dream. But I love, you know, the fact that in this I'm saying like, I'm never going to enjoy dating apps. I'm never going to be able to like fancy someone else or find someone attractive. Like, hun, give it a month. You will be fucking (laughs) scrolling like nobody's business on Tinder. (laughs) But it was just that specific time of like not being able to connect with that because it all felt so raw and I think that rawness I like it's quite emotional like reconnecting with that again because it's easy to forget or dull down those senses but heartbreak's just shit heartbreak takes over your whole life doesn't Mm. it It feels like the end of the world I think you're so right in terms of just not being able to see the other side of it but I was curious it's obviously sounded like you're in quite a tough space mentally and emotionally Is this your first time revisiting this pep talk in your diary? Because I wrote so much in that year, I have gone back and read it through a couple of times. But reading it out loud is completely different. It feels like a lot more vulnerable and raw and like you're exposing that part of yourself a bit more than just like reading it. There's a lot of privacy to just like dipping in and looking at it myself. But I think it's important to share this kind of stuff. There were parts of this year, the diary from this year, that are like really funny or really silly. And I was really tempted to choose them to read to you because then we would like all have a giggle together. But actually, this feels like where I'm at right now and what I want to revisit. And I think it's important to like look at those moments where you just feel like a totally lost at sea and you don't know what's happening and you don't know who you are because it's a good reminder to like appreciate how far you've come and appreciate the person that you are now and it it was weird reading this and like even at the end of this section being like oh my god you're speaking about me like the person you're walking into that's me and like if 2016 me saw 2021 me she would be fucking overwhelmed she would be like overjoyed and would love it and that feels really emotional to think about because I don't think she knew that she could be me, if that makes sense. That's so beautiful. And I was going to ask as a secondary question, how much of a role do you feel like journaling and kind of working through those feelings in the process of writing them helped you kind of move on from those spaces emotionally? Journaling's been massively important to me and was so important in this time, I think kind of becoming better friends with solitude and like spending time with myself. Journaling was really, really, really useful for that. And it's actually kind of, weird to think about that now because I'm dealing with some really difficult stuff right now and I'm noticing myself feeling very avoidant to write it down because it almost feels like too painful that I don't want to like put it into words and maybe maybe that means that I should see what it's like to write it down maybe it means that actually like the way that I'm just dealing with this feels different and that's okay but There's something lovely about having an artefact, like especially when it's handwritten, like I've got loads of like weird scuffed journals that like none of them match. They're all like different notebooks to have them as a collection of like this was like me at that time that was super formative and be able to 
go back and look through them because it's so easy to forget. Like I would have forgotten this moment of being drunk on the bus home, having downloaded loads of dating apps and feeling weird about it. And suddenly it's like, I remember that night. I remember like the bus I was on and where I was sat on the bus while I was like thinking about all of this stuff. But if it wasn't for this, that would be like locked in a vault somewhere in my brain. So it's quite nice to like have that. And yeah, maybe it means I'll journal a little bit more now. But it was definitely a very special thing, an important thing at that time. So true. Journaling, yeah, it makes it feel, your feelings feel very real once they're written down. And I don't yeah. know about you, I, but I can even tell my mental state based on my handwriting, which is, <laughs> yeah, if it's really scribbly, I'm like, oh, so you were going through it that day. <laughs> but I was going to ask, you kind of talk about time and, you know, spending time with yourself. Why is that kind of so important to you? And what would your perfect solo I mean, now I'm just going to, like, now that means that I'm going to have to do it once I say it, because that just sounds so delicious. We are brought up in a world that centres extroverts, and I am not an extrovert. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable with that and able to admit it. And I love talking to people, and I love, you know, I think teaching RSE in schools was a massive thing for me in terms of, like, becoming more confident speaking in front of an audience and like being able to like hold myself confidently while I'm talking to others and I love doing that and there's definitely like a sort of performer in me who likes switching that on but it needs to be switched off and the way that I recharge is on my own I struggle to do that when I'm around other people and this year 2016 was really a year of me being able to like experience that for the first time as an adult I think like I later on in that year, I went traveling and I spent quite a lot of time in Sri Lanka and being on my own in lots of different spaces and feeling like comfortable with that was really nice. And I've definitely taken that with me wherever I've gone since. And now if I was going to have my perfect solo day, well, it would be sunny and I'd like go for a really long walk or a cycle on the beach and like go for maybe more than one swim. and. I would cook something really decadent that took like a long time to cook and I would be the only one who ate it because as much as I love cooking for other people there's like a real satisfaction with being like this is just for me <laughs> all of this is feeling like quite small maybe it's lockdown but like all of this just makes me feel really happy then I would like put a podcast on that I could just really get lost in and like hear a story or like you know just feel like I'm in someone's company a little bit, but without having to put any energy into it. And then I would do something creative. I would sew some stuff or I'm making loads of like pots right now and painting them. And I've got like a whole paper mache factory over on that side of the room. Like I am a woman of many crafts and I would dip into one of them. And that kind of sounds like a great day for me. Is that, I'm a grandmother. I'm That's like a sexy incredible. grandma. And I probably, you know. <laughs> that. I'd have a nice wank no. at some point. I'd have a nice wank you in like a sun like trap in my house. That would that like... I would do. Okay, less grandmotherly. <laughs> Although I hope grannies, I hope grannies have lovely wanks and sun traps as well. <laughs> no, that was like incredible, incredible stuff. So much to unpack. I was just going to ask. I guess one of the things that really spoke to me in your extract was, I guess, the tension between the world of dating apps, which were, I guess, pretty kind of we were. They were in their first stage, I guess, in 2016. And that kind of tension of like, oh my God, am I supposed to like someone based on this one picture and I'm going to like swipe here and they're going to be the love of my life, but also not wanting to not be doing something active almost and like to feel like you have to be there in order to like move forward in quotation marks. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask like, were you ever able to reconcile, and you touched on the swiping on Tinder, were you able to reconcile those conflicts between like feeling helpless in terms of meeting new people, but also feeling out of place on the new world of internet dating? It was something that felt really shocking at the beginning because also, I can't, I really should know this. I think Tinder came out in 2012, I think. By the time Tinder was a thing, I was already in a relationship with this person. So this was the first time that I was on dating apps. And initially I found it really 
intimidating and really weird and mechanical, like how I've kind of said in this journal extract. But very quickly, I became like a dating app nerd and I still am now and I fucking love them <laughs> because it's it's kind of like a very specific world. And when you are someone who is a nerd when it comes to relationships and sex and connecting with people, I find like dating apps and dating app profiles and porn as well just like genuinely fascinating and I will go browse a porn site when I'm not horny and don't actually want to watch porn I just want to see what the trends are and what's happening I will go on a dating app just to look at people and how they present themselves not because I actually want to go on a date with someone like it's it's just a fascination well I love you know it's so I think probably in like from this year in 2017 I have a journal full actually of all of the opening lines that men said to me on dating apps variety of them is just amazing and it wasn't me doing it in a way of being like men are shit and creepy because obviously there were some really overly sexualized misogynistic creepy ones but there was also a hell of a lot of vulnerability in there and strangeness and like you know it was just this window into the way that people operate and communicate that we don't get that much and I love that and I've come to understand how I work on dating apps, which I think is something that everyone has to do if you're like going to be on them and like do online dating. You kind of need to figure out how it works for you. And I have just had some truly magical experiences through dating apps over the last few years. And I met my like nesting partner, Alex, on Tinder, like what, almost four years ago now. And as much as there's a lot of criticism that's like totally valid about dating apps, it has become a normal part of our lives. And like, it is a thing where like most people I know met their like partners through dating apps now. And it's amazing the difference that five years makes that initially then it was still feeling weird, like for myself and culturally at large. Whereas now it's kind of like the main way that we meet people, right? Absolutely. Also, sorry, I'm sensing book number two in people's one-liners from dating apps. Imagine that coffee table book and it's just like (laughs) an anthology of all of the ways that people have started conversations on dating apps. I would read it. Yeah, I really need to dig it out again because I loved it as like a personal project, but maybe the rest of the world needs to see it as well. Sweet. Okay, we're on to the last part, which is just, yeah, reflections. So I wanted to ask what advice would you give to your younger self, you know, especially about heartache and learning to be on your own and learning to prioritise yourself? I think the main thing I would say is that it is, as hard as it can be, it is better to be on your own than to be with someone where it's not working, where you don't feel, like, supported and seen. And the temptation is like so there to just like hang on to relationships because there's security or like some kind of structure or validation there. And it takes a lot of courage to walk away from that or to accept that that's not what you need right now. But over time, you will get slightly better at noticing that and noticing when you need to be by yourself. And I'd also really like tell my younger self to enjoy the times that I'm on my own because throughout my like teenage and adult life I have been a bit of a serial data like I definitely found security in being with someone as a teenager and in my early 20s and I feel that a lot less now but I am in a long-term relationship and I also date other people as well but like I think the time that I spent on my own in 2016 really carved a relationship with myself and now I think of like the relationship I have with myself as the most significant one and like it's the most significant romantic and sexual relationship I have and then non-monogamy has helped me shape the relationships I have with other people like as much as I adore my main romantic and sexual partner my most like important partner in my life is my sister (laughs) and like that's a nice thing to say so I would probably remind my younger self to like call your sister and tell her that you love her and I think just like really try and listen to your own advice because the advice that I was giving it myself in this extract was really good and really kind but it's easy to write those things Mm. and it's less easy to believe them and live by them and 
just to try and not be so hard on yourself because you don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to figure it out all the time. It's okay to be heartbroken. It's okay to be on your own. And if you try to stop being so in your head about it, you're going to get a lot more out of it. You did touch on this already before, but if you could just tell us, like, what do you think that younger self would think of where you are today? Oh, my gosh. I think she'd be kind of amazed because I don't think she knew she was bisexual yet. So she'd be like, what? (laughs) Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) There was actually, I was almost going to pick an extract where from like the first time I slept with a woman, which was on my birthday, on Pride, and it was my first threesome as well. So it was just like all the things happened at the same time. And I reread the extract and it's so fucking cringy because I'm like, it was amazing. I had an incredible time and like, I really loved like kissing and touching her, but I was really drunk and we were all really sweaty. And so I didn't want to go down on her. And that probably means that I'm like definitely not bisexual. But anyway, like I loved making out and loved (laughs) making a come with my hands. (laughs) It's so sweet reading that back and being like, oh, Oh, hun, like you were literally fucking a woman and you were closeting yourself. What was happening? So yeah, 2016 Ruby would be would probably need a minute to catch up on who I am now in terms of like sexuality, relationship structure, gender stuff and work stuff as well. Like the fact that I'm doing this and I love it and I've made something of it, I think she would be really surprised by and happy about, but maybe wouldn't quite understand straight away. And she'd probably say, oh, wow, you're wearing a lot of pink. And to that, that I'd say, fair enough. Yeah, I am. The rumours are true. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. That was incredible. Thank you. It's been really, really nice. I feel like this is just the conversation I've needed to have today. So thank you. You've both been lovely and it's been really nice revisiting this. Yeah, it was really great to speak with Ruby. She just came with such, like, an open heart Mm. and so much honesty and you know, that was really kind of just beautiful to be a part of. And yeah, hear her talk about, you know, heartache really just takes you back to moments in your own life. Oh my goodness. Like the moment I read like the first paragraph of that extract, I was like, oh, I just know this is going to be such a good interview. Even just the way she writes, I think is very, it's almost like she was writing fiction in the sense that Mm. this probably sounds quite scary that we think real life needs to replicate fiction, but it almost felt like it was, you know, an extract from someone else's book because it was so clear and like precise and very open. But yeah, and I just think her energy was fantastic. Yeah, she's doing so much. And yeah, even just talking about like sex education, how it used to be when we were at school compared to like now and all these amazing organisations. Like, yeah, it made me think at least about my old school days and like how you kind of failed absolutely yeah a terrible system (laughs) and it was funny because there was a point where I had to control myself because she was talking about how we've all been failed by sex education and she was saying you know at school you're told that and all I could think of was that scene in Mean Girls where he goes don't get pregnant yes if you do don't have sex because you will get pregnant and you will die you'll die and it was like that was like and, and to think that we had those conversations back then and that was a running joke. But then today yeah. we're literally watching series like Sex Education exactly. where they're still tackling the same struggles that people are still having in schools to actually improve the conversations yeah. around sexual health for teenagers. So, it's, But imagine yeah. Ruby just like coming through your door as your sex ed teacher. That'd be oh like God. so sick. <laughs> Suddenly the whole class is by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And wearing one of those, what were the gowns called? The peignoirs. Yes. Yeah, I'm popping one of those immediately after this. Honestly. This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at Gaudemzine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. 
Don't forget, if you love this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.